Well, again, we gather around a dinner table or a breakfast table or a lunch, right? Wherever we are in the world. And we are um, going to be on our time or the, the meal that the Lord has set before us. It is a very precious meal. And it's one that it's um, filled with delectables and uh, good things, right, to choose from. Well, we want to choose it all because all of it has been designed for us. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I do welcome you to Wow, What a Show. And remember, that really has reference to the performance of God in each and every day and all day. The heavens declare the glory of God, so says Psalm 19. It is written, the heavens declare the glory of God. Declare. They speak it out. They tell us that God has glory, that he is glorious. And the firmament shows his handiwork. And day unto day utters, speaking again, speech. And night unto night shows knowledge. This is who God is. Remember, we refer to him as our father. But to the world at large, he is the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, almighty God. And we are the blessed to have him so near to us that we can call him father. And uh, with that, I want you to know that tonight we are having a a revisit uh, from Anna Kane. We were supposed to finish a, a session that we started on parenting and we were supposed to go into the practical aspects of parenting, some strategies that could help us all, you know, if you're a parent and if you're not, you might understand your parents a little bit better after these uh, conversations that we've had. So uh, just hold your seat, you know, hold your, uh, fasten your seat belts as we say, and uh, we are going to get to it as soon as Anna can get up. To the co-host position. And as always, we ask her to um, request or send a request so that I can get her in. You know, some for some reason, I'm not sitting with anyone. We are, we are in different uh, states and places. So when people have trouble getting in, I am the last person to ask for help because like I don't um, really ever have to get in. I'm always in. I'm the person that brings you forward. So um, I, I'm a little bit at, at a loss. Let's see. Allow call in. Yes. Summer in, summer in. Add. There you go. And she has now the invitation to join us. And uh, hopefully she'll be right there in a moment. Um, as we wait again, we want to ask our father to be with us always and to guide us in our discussion and uh, to cause us as we are listening to hear from him, whatever it is that he has for us. And you know, the, the subject matter, whatever the subject is, whatever the title of one of these podcasts or anybody's sermon or talk, whatever the titles are, sometimes we dismiss the fact that it's for us, right? But it's always for us. There's not a part of God's word that um, she is. There's not any part of 
have uh, embedded in it something that we can all really ingest and grow from. So I want us to continue to think in the in that vein, you know, as we go back uh, over some of the strategies that we were supposed to uh, finish with. And I want to greet before we get started. Sharice is right here. God bless Sharice. Tony, Richie, thank you for joining us, Tony. And GDRX, um, JBB, or JBB, yeah. Thank you for being here. And with that, I thank Summerin, Summerin, Anna Kane for coming and uh, enduring the hardship as a good soldier. You know, it's written in the book of Timothy, the first or second one. I'm not quite sure. I think it's the second that we should endure hardship as a good soldier. And uh, those hardships are those things that come along with uh, doing the will of God because there there are enemies. You know, uh, when when you're in a battle, you're not fighting against the air. You are fighting an enemy and a, someone who opposes or an oppressor. And we must do that according to the way the Lord has, has mapped it out for us to do it. But ultimately, it is really just handing it over because it is also written according to the Apostle Paul. He says, I thank my God. I thank my God for in him there is always triumph. Always we triumph in Christ Jesus. If we just stop, you know, and I know how difficult that is. I have been so, so desperately challenged and uh, so reminded to allow the Lord to fight the battle. And so with that, hello there, Miss Summer and Miss Anna Kane. <laughs> I tend to call you by the, the handle you show me here, but <clears throat> it's so good that you're here. <laughs> Thank you so much for enduring. <laughs> Yes, and, uh, thank you for saying that, like a good soldier, because sometimes the soldier says, what is going on here? <laughs> so I <had laughs> put my soldier hat on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so go ahead. And uh, we want to start with prayer, as we always uh, want to ask the Lord to, to walk with us. So, Anna, would you like to pray since it, you know, you're going to take the lead? Okay, go right ahead. I'm with you. I would like just to say, Lord, you know, thank you for... Thank you for being above who we are. And it's a privilege to be yours and to be able to look up and say, you know, my God is able like a child and I'm not (laughs) and to be dependent on you. And yet enduring like a good soldier is sometimes hard because we get frustrated. But I thank you that you remind us and Phyllis did a great job of just opening up and it just reminded me of a second. Oh, right. It's going to be okay. Um, You're just going through a small thing. And so as I just thank you for being able to get on the podcast tonight, I also thank you that what we'll talk about tonight, Lord Jesus, will be led by you. And whatever is of you, I pray we would retain what is not, we would not, and that you would come and give us responses and answers that are good. Um, Help us to be uh, mindful of the distractions around us and that we would record well tonight and that we would all be engaged. And I just love you, God, and thank you that you love me first. And the more I live, the more I know you love me first. And it is a true thing that when we're loved, we want to give back. And my heart's desire is to give glory to you, Lord Jesus, because I'm not good. You're good, 
and I'm happy to be here. Thank you in the name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen. 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 Okay. All right. Well, what I'd like to say is uh, I'm glad that we are here. And I'm glad that we get to continue the conversation. I hope that tonight our discussion on motherhood or those things pertaining to motherhood will be helpful. Tonight we are looking at just uh, practical responses to everyday motherhood experiences. And I will remind us of four practical thoughts I had on motherhood that I prayed over and thought about. Um, from previous episodes, and then we'll literally move into a little question and response or answer conversation. So what I invite the audience to do is to put your thinking caps on and say to yourself uh, and, and under two different categories, Lord, what types of questions or at least uh, ponderings do I have about dealing with my own children or about responding to children around me, children in the early years, children in the mid years, uh, children in the teen years. And I do have a comment to say about that as we go in, uh, children in the adulthood years. And then it may be, uh, or it may be that you are a mother or know someone who is a mother and you have a question uh, about the difficulties of becoming a mother or maintaining your desire to be a mother in the midst of conflict when children get older. And hopefully Phyllis will join us in some really, probably the most important insight on what we can all endeavor to do. And I do say endeavor because like the Lord has told us when it comes to sharing the gospel, even one man plants, another man waters, but God gives the increase. Amen. And if you haven't figured that out in your parenting by now, just wait, it's coming. You plant, another man waters, God gives the increase. And so having said that, let's jump right in with these thoughts. Um, as a review, practical thought number one was observing the lives uh, that we've been given as mothers and learning to respond appropriately so that our children are guided in learning to what? Love, we guide them in learning to give, we guide them in learning to receive, learning to obey, to be civil in the land in which we live, to be responsible, to be respectful, to be thankful, to be honest, to know God and fear him, and to live a life that can affect other lives for good. Now notice, observe the lives that we have been given, observation of our children, looking at them, listening to them, noticing them, having conversation. How did they respond? We do that. I know that we do. But it's just an, an admonishment to really be all in and doing that and not tiring, not being burdened to have this happen constantly. Civility in the land in which we live, responsibility. It doesn't necessarily mean that you give the increase here, <laughs> but it does mean that this is my, uh, you know, this was a thought on what we ought to be giving in our mothering of people. <laughs> Ask yourself, what kind of person would you like my child to be? Look around the people that you have around you and ask yourself, am I instilling in my child those characteristics that would make for a good neighbor, that would make for a good coworker, 
that would make for a good husband, that would make for a good friend. Number two, protecting our children in various aspects of life so that they learn the importance of protections. Notice that we can also teach them the importance of having certain parameters and restrictions in our lives for their physical well-being, uh, as well as their mental well-being, emotional well-being, et cetera. Um, and I won't belabor that, but the protecting our children in the various aspects of life, uh, being present, number three, being present and engaged with our children, our little people. <laughs> Do not give your responsibility over to other people down to the minutest details, such as playing with them. And I was just having a conversation uh, with someone about getting on the floor and teaching my daughter smiley faces at the table day in and day out. And lo and behold, you don't have to have an artist, but I got one. <laughs> so those smiley faces and that bending over paid off. And I didn't even know, <laughs> you know, so playing with them, teaching them how to play. I'll talk about that more. Figuring out things with them. We've all done it. I know that. But sometimes to the degree that we do that, it's limited if we're not present and okay with being present and engaged day in and day out, or is it at least as often as we are there, even when we're tired. Teaching structure. You do have to teach structure. It doesn't happen. Time out doesn't make it happen. Leniency, however, in the midst of being that type of permanent, I think I pointed out characteristics and experiences that I had with my own mother that I believe actually created a really good balance there. To be honest, I could never say that she was overly structured or overly lenient. To be quite frank, she, if I remember, if you remember, the desire was to have a balance there. Being an example of fortitude, but confessing the need for help. Yeah, my mom is strong. I need to help my mom. Encouraging productivity, that's a big one when we talk tonight. <laughs> and making room for rest, however, and not being overly expectant of our children. Being kind, but inviting honor, which that was probably another <laughs> talk. I think that's one of the hardest things to do is to invite your children to honor you. You're hoping they do, but to, sh to sort of instill that or, or what do you do to have that happen? But nonetheless, those are some things to think about in terms of our mothering. What an awesome responsibility just in that listing, the first one alone. So tonight we're going to move over to, again, I'm going to you know, move to some questions that mothers have asked. Most of the ones I'll begin with are common questions that mothers ask about some of the day-to-day -day experiences we have with our children. Uh, if you have a question, please put it in the chat. Let's share with one another tonight. If you have a question for your neighbor, I have a neighbor with a young child. There was one issue I thought might be helpful, <laughs> you know, for her to talk about one day, I don't know. So if you have any question that you think we should uh, give attention to that would help somebody and help us work through our own thoughts about the questions in mothering and the answers or the responses or the support that we have to offer someone else. So let's get right down. And then we, again, we'll go and talk about some difficulties of being a new mother, which I thought would be very helpful for those who it's not so much my child, but it's my response to being in this position. As we know, let's start, for, I'm gonna start off by, well, as we know, children start off as babies. 
And so we don't have a lot of complaint about our babies. We do know babies come into the world. Some of them are very docile, easy to care for. Other children have some medical issues. Other children have temperamental issues, whatever the case may be. But in a general sense, when that baby's happy, we're happy. We're just learning how to be responsible for this really small life. But as the child ages, we start to recognize that they were born in sin. And so everything doesn't pan out as easily. The crying is no longer a whimper uh, or easily satisfied. It turns into a tantrum or a meltdown. The children are harder to handle sometimes. So we're gonna start with just the, a couple of practical ways you can respond to very young children, specifically toddler children. Um, when they're encountering some of the issues of life. This doesn't happen all the time, but we do tend to run into these areas. And I'll start with tantrums and meltdowns. What we really are asking tonight, the question really is, how do I handle the behavior of a young child? And in this uh, day and age, and probably in the day and age before, and every day and age, um, there's always been you know, probably two, at least two, opinions on how to handle behavior in children. Do you handle that with a strong hand as the authoritarian in the home and shut that down? Uh, what types of helps, tools, and strategies, uh, you know, responses do we have when our children are going through something and their response is over-exaggerated? So one, the authoritarian approach maybe the stricter hand approach. And then we have the other side of the coin when the response is, hey, that's already a lot going on. They're going through something. Let's respond with a more docile sort of uh, hands-off approach. And let's reason with the child to get them to see that the tantrum, the meltdown, the, the, the behavior is not warranted and to calm down. And in between those two extremes is probably where we live most of the time. But what I will say about behavior, which translates into tantrums and meltdowns, is that some of that being born in sin is probably to be expected. <laughs> so don't get too surprised if it starts to rise up. However, a couple of things I'll say have nothing to do with a child when they get to the age where they can break down, melt down, scream out loud, talk back, run into the corner, do all the things that kids can do. And realizing that personality dictates to what degree we do or sometimes don't do something. So this is not a blanket response. But if you dealt with this, I think I noticed that just like what happens with the 20 year old when he's 10 matters when he's 20, the same thing that happens with the three-year-old um, when they are, say, six months matters when they are two and three. Hence, my conversation with my child, my own temperament, the environment in which the child is being raised, uh, what the child hears and sees on a regular basis. Some, a lot of that influences the behavior of the child. If there is, and this is an easy one, we all know this, right? But there are varying degrees of this. But if there's a lot of yelling and screaming, at first your child is not gonna yell and scream back at you. But eventually, 
particularly if their personality is prone to it, they will begin to yell a little bit too. First, they might yell at a sibling or they'll yell in response back to you. If you're, they sense frustration, maybe they will learn frustration. And I'm not one of those proponents, you know, those people who say the child is a product of just environment, okay? That nurture versus nature conversation that happens. But there is some logical explanation as to why some children respond in the way they do. Some of it is learned while some of it is inherent. So how do you deal with that? One thing I wanna encourage when it comes to behavior is to one, exhibit the type of behavior that you want to see in your child. Exhibit that behavior. Now, I tell you what, uh, there are some moms who talk in a way that I don't talk. They have language that I don't have. Uh, and that's on both ends of the spectrum. Sometimes they're too hard, sometimes they're too soft. <laughs> and I, you know, I ask myself, wow, is that the way it ought to be? I can't judge them. They are being who they are. But I think having conversations like this helps us to hear other parents and observe children in school, anywhere you can go. Be a good observer and ask yourself, well, what kind of environment am I uh, creating? What kind of example am I putting forth in front of my child? Because I would like if they were going to emulate me, uh, you know, to, to know that what I'm setting forth is something worthy of emulation. And then teaching them through loving discipline. And I wish Elizabeth Elliott were here to talk about that because I think she does a good job of it considering she only had one child. Um, good discipline will teach them early, even at six months, that that is inappropriate. That response, that tantrum, that screaming, after I've observed and I've helped you and I'm calming you, that's not appropriate. That's not going to be acceptable. And you can even teach a baby at nine months a firm, loving no. The eyes, the tone of voice, the patience that you have to see the moment through is very infectious. They understand that without being able to articulate it. They understand it early. And so by the time the child is two, that whole terrible two thing does not have to come in your home. They have to grow. But that that's not normal. My child acts like a maniac. Oh, she's two. And we chuck it up as, oh, I understand. I don't believe that that is a true thing. I believe that the maturity of the child and the understanding of the child is being developed, but the, the, their, 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 their allowance of them expressing it in such a way that lacks control is not God's plan. And that we have the power before they're two and three to again, create an environment and an example and a tone that teaches them how to respond so that by the time the kids are older, they may then glean from that and continue in that self-controlled to the degree that they can uh, manner, and you have fewer meltdowns and tantrums. You will have crying. You will not have a tantrum-filled child, at least to a large degree. So if you are dealing with that or know somebody who's dealing with that, ask God to show you how to be a good example, even to someone else's child. And how do I create an environment when they're with me that helps them avoid going down that road? Picky eating. Let's move on to another big subject when it comes to young children. 
the children have to eat <laughs> and no man has to like the same foods. God was amazing. He put a garden in there and there was variety. I'm assuming they ate everything in it. However, we don't sense the garden eat everything ever set before us. But what happens when your child won't eat and it's what we call picky? It's almost too picky. Uh, uh, a couple of things, a lot can be said about this. I won't belabor it, but if it helps anybody like behavior, but even more so in this arena, you can sort of train a child to know what to eat. And that may sound harsh. Well, why should I have to do that? Why not just put the food on their palate, you know, let their taste buds run them, you know, to do what they, they may. Not everybody has to like everything. Even my doctor said, blah, 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 you know. But remember the child, you know, you're, you're, you're training up your child. You're not following the child. And many things, even eating, have to be learned. You have to learn to like, believe it or not, and that's not being cruel, but learning how to appreciate smashed green beans. Okay, let's say the child doesn't like the smashed green beans. Well, they can't also not like smashed carrots, smashed pea, everything under the sun. They only like one thing. One, it's not to the child's benefit in the long term. And two, you have to be patient and diligent enough to know that they have to get acclimated. They have to develop even taste buds. So if you're experiencing picky eating, some suggestions might be. One, when, the, when you're starting to feed your child at a very young age in those four months, five months, six months stages, Really be intentional about feeding them exactly the types of foods you think are healthy for them, but that you also think you will maintain um, as you um, start to, to, to uh, form and, and, and prepare their meals as toddlers. Give them the type of food that you want them to eat as toddlers, at least as many categories as you possibly can. So you start off introducing with one type of food maybe carrots. And then in the six months or so, you've introduced your child to a few type of foods. And then the recommendation is that, you know, nine months they're eating more foods. But when you incorporate those foods, be very mindful. They do not know the difference between this food and that food until you introduce it to them. So if you introduce them to foods that you don't want them to eat consistently, don't introduce those foods. Introduce the foods that you want them to eat consistently and that are good for them as much as possible. Don't cheat every other day if you expect their taste buds to have some, you know, to be sustained. Because what a child learns very quickly is a difference between flavors. And some flavors, as we know, are more palatable than others. But if a child is hungry, they will eat what they are accustomed to, as opposed to beginning, you know, shying away from it and waiting to see if the food flavor that they prefer will come to them. We all know where this is going. Feed the child some healthy foods and don't feed them the unhealthy foods. I met a Korean lady on the playground one time while I was watching somebody else's children and I was pregnant with my first and she said one bit of advice, 
don't give your child sugar when he's born, when the child is born. And I thought, oh, okay. But somehow the way she said that that day, it stuck with me. And it's not that foods, all the foods that my child ate didn't have any type of sweetness to them. But I, I really held to that. And I go, well, what happens if I don't? Nothing. Because I'm feeding all these other foods and we, you know, we've got variety. And so I didn't. I didn't uh, indulge in the potato chip or the lollipop at an early age. I didn't want to because it doesn't take but a moment before they begin to reject some of the old and they're waiting for the new. And not every child's the same, but it's enough, it's common enough that you want to be wary. And I think um, without even having to go to when your child's five, six, seven, or eight, if you establish good eating habits with any young child and are, are consistent and do not give in, at least on a regular basis, and save the treats for literally just special occasions, so special that the child knows that this is not where we're headed when we go back in the house, but it's what I had when I was over you know, at this gathering or something, they can associate certain things with there, and then they're, you know, accustomed to what's happening in the home. If you do that early, you really do help set a foundation for their future. And when I was not a young child, but I was about, I was in elementary school, and my mom or dad would make lentil soup, I declared, well, I don't know where this soup came from, but I don't like lentil soup. And I thought that was a very hard thing to eat. But I noticed they would put onions in it and then potatoes and then with a little extra salt, I thought, okay, it's palatable, but I still didn't like it. Lo and behold, when I had my children, I thought, well, gee, that's pretty healthy. Maybe I'll try to make it and make it the way I want. Well, I love lentil soup today. I didn't like okra. It was very difficult to eat. I love okra today. But I did have an association, you see, with good food and what happened when I was younger and I had no control. That was dinner, not peanut butter and jelly or lentil soup. It was lentil soup <laughs> and that was it. And so having those moments of, you know, learning that this is the food that we're eating, make the best of it was helpful. Now, tonight you may think that that's just a really simplified way of handling that issue and I'm going to move on. But honestly, no matter how you dice that in your own home, it's going to boil down to that. You have to establish good habits, else you're not really helping for the child to appreciate the good habits in the elementary years, nor in the, in the years to follow. They may change, yes, but think of all the years that have gone by without them um, having that good foundation as much as we can give it to them in the area of eating. All right, let's move up a little bit. I just thought I'd put that in there. Are there any questions regarding anything pertaining to the younger child, because we don't have time to be exhaustive. That would be a really good pamphlet. I just thought I would deal with a couple of things that happen to be problematic. They can also be slightly annoying. Grandma and grandpa watch the children, they don't eat anything. Or your neighbor comes over to play with your child, they go home early because your child's always, you know, having a problem. These are some day-to-day -day experiences that uh, mothers have that are kind of hard to handle. They sound funny on one hand, but when you're living with it day in and day out, and I don't want to do this, and I don't want to eat that, and you go, it's you get frustrated, and it's all of a sudden, you know, this is such a drag. So anything in that category, um, or anything like it, 
you know, it's worth having a conversation and I encourage you as mothers to be diligent. So if there aren't any, I'm going to move on to some, uh, some of the older years uh, sort of coming out of the toddler years. And let's deal with this very important one, using our devices to babysit our children. When I was younger, it was just TV. I can't even say anybody said radio babysat TV. It was the visual. It was always going to be the TV. You could leave the radio on all day and not many people would complain. Uh, but you leave that TV on all day and the, the word would be, you know, you need to turn the TV off. You've been watching too much TV. What happens when we're dealing with the issue of entertainment in our children's lives? And in today's world, this year, we've got iPads, cell phones, television, movies, DVR, you name it, we've got it. Anything that can be plugged in right now is a device and it's an opportunity for the child to be in engrossed in a in something that captures your attention so all of it isn't wrong it's not even a right or wrong thing i think on on most fronts uh you, you pick and choose what you want to do if you're not a tv watcher time nine times out of ten your children probably won't be tv watchers at least not in those early years if you are a tv watcher Nine times out of 10, they will be too, because that's what you will indulge in and they will be there and they will indulge in it, maybe some more than others. But if we are glad <laughs> that we have these devices and they help us to manage our days, and I mean days plural, we are stepping into a seemingly shallow dish when it's cute and they're two or one or nine months in the stroller in Target. And we're don't realize how that ditch is sort of caving in until before you know it, it only seems reasonable to give the child two hours at a time. It almost seems like you're denying them life if you don't allow them to indulge regularly in watching TV looking at movies or whatever you call holding your phone, having their own in today's culture is does your child have one of their own? <laughs> so what, what, what is the question here? Should we do that? I'm not going to answer yes or no. What I'm going to say is that it can be intrusive. It's intrusive on the mind and it's intrusive on the engagement that we've been allowed to have. It's also, it, it, it builds dependency. First, in the mother, I will tell you, the mother becomes more dependent on it than the child because it becomes like a babysitter. These devices have the power to capture our children's attention for long periods of time. And when that happens, we can do other things or we can rest or whatever. The thing is, I'm not dealing with the child in that moment. I have a, a bit of freedom. You may need the freedom, but the thing is we are the ones becoming dependent on the devices more so than the child. The child is just responding appropriately, actually. They, you, you, got, you gave them something to capture their attention, and so they're responding in the way that they ought. Then I believe it becomes 
something the child becomes dependent on. Children can't fall asleep without some of these devices. Uh, no longer is it, do I need to hum or sing my child to sleep? It's, they'll probably fall asleep watching this. Or if I put that on, they're just gonna fall asleep. And it's almost like it's justified, like they're going to sleep, so don't worry about it. They're not really that engaged. But it's like a, a pacifier. <clears throat> and I, I wanna warn us that, well, what is that pacifier or what is that indulgence doing to cultivate anything in the child for their improvement, for their creativity, for their intellect, for their ability to, um, to hear, you know, you've got to also have an appreciation for quiet. You've got to have an appreciation for just obedience and contemplation. And children, I believe, learn how to think and contemplate and imagine in their little heads very, very early. They do as babies. But when they're unindated with something that's noise-ridden or visual, um, you know, inviting, they're not really allowed to do that naturally on their own. There's a stimulus that's constantly going. So I really want to say, you know, the question is, is this, should we do this? Should we allow for this to a great degree? I would be inclined to say to a great degree, no. To a lesser degree, be very discerning. Be very discerning. And observe your child and notice what impact this is having. Some children really don't get that interested. They walk away very quickly. They have other types of preoccupations. But lots of our children, by the time they're five, they're in. And it's an expectation that they have in their lives. But we have allowed that to be the case. Be discerning, be prayerful. And when I move to the next one, lack of creativity. Think about lack of creativity in children's lives. The question may be, how do I encourage creativity in my child's life. And that's whether they're young, middle school, elementary school, high school. How do I encourage creativity? Well, one way I don't think that we do it, but we can use them as tools. Don't get me wrong. You can watch Bob Ross and become interested in drawing, painting. But we don't allow who God made them to be to shine forth in their own minds when they're unindated with those things. And so if you are experiencing and you're asking, how do I encourage that creativity? One thing I can say is take away all of that for a while. Going back outside more often and not just sending them outside. You walk out that door with those children, even if it's after work and you talk about the things that you can do outside the house, the things that you've wanted to do, dream with your children, plan with your children. Do the simple things first. Everything doesn't cost money. Going to the movies, you've got to go pay to do paintballing. You've got to do everything that somebody else created. How about let's create a frame. Let's create, you know, my son and I, I know we created this thing to put the rocks on it so the dirt would fall out. I think it's, uh, what do you call it? Like a little colander or something so we could work in the garden. He helped me build that thing one day in the hot sun. You know, do it. it it's, it's work but help them learn creativity. Sit down with your child and day in and day out for two weeks, show them how to do a, a smiley face, 
And I'm just using my experience, not because I'm great at it, just because I just know that it's work and it's a monotonous sort of a sort of experience. You keep doing these same things over and over again to build creativity. You give tons of ideas to your older children, even though they don't want to do any of them at first. Then you say, hey, we're doing that. And, and let me encourage you, moms, <clears throat> do it while you have control. <laughs> don't wait until they're 17. As long as you guide the ship, do as much as you can do to build creativity. Go show them what's happening when musicians are, are, are practicing or a band that's for free. You can go up to a university and watch the band play. Again, you can dig dirt and talk about one you know, little experience that they learned in science. You can do a collage. There's so many creative things that you can do and you can also leave them to themselves so that God can bring thoughts to their brains and they can endeavor to be creative on their own. Let them play with things in the kitchen as much as possible. Say, okay, we can't always do this one thing, but for today you can build forts. And I'm sure I wanted to be an architect when I was younger and my mom and dad did. They let us uh, take the coats or the blankets and time together and be in the living room and, and walk through them. Till today, tents are one of my favorite things to have. We've had two. <laughs> we have three tents, sorry, in my house. I love the idea of getting in there and being imaginative. So if you're having problems with building creativity in the lives of your children on any level, go to where they are, meet them where they are at that station in life and participate. Show them creativity and take away people and things that really stifle their own ability to think and to learn play. And out of that, creativity will happen. It will happen on some front, it will happen. Let's jump a little further and we're about to move into the new uh, phase of talking about being a new mother, but I want to talk quickly about two areas, boredom, uh, we won't belabor that, but there, that does, it's worthy of um, a little discussion. I think one of the best things we can do, and we know we've used the word boredom loosely, grownups, we use it also, but you know, boredom when the child's just not engaged in practically anything, nothing satisfying except you know, something that always is outside of the home or something that's costly. Um, again, at, at the early stages in life, don't you be bored. Don't perpetuate that in your home. Do something with yourself <clears throat> and, and don't you know, encourage that type of conversation so much so that it becomes habit forming for the children who've been listening to you and following you. Don't be bored and don't perpetuate boredom in your own home. As a mother, take control of that. And having quiet time is not boredom. Having nothing to do but maybe sit here and fiddle, that's not necessarily boredom. You need time for your mind to stop and wind down and go into other places of rest and thinking. And just, you know, you, you cannot be, again, unindated with something all the time. And for us to indulge our children and make them think they have to be in order to avoid boredom is a misguided way of leading them into adulthood. So let's take control 
of how much boredom or what we sort of perpetuate when it comes to boredom. And the last thing, unsavory friendships and unfamiliar friendships. This is a different category. We don't have time to cover all of it, but as our children sort of develop and get older, particularly in those middle grades, uh, sometimes we'll find that one question we have is, how do I help my child you know, have healthy friendships? Or maybe it's how do I help my child get rid of some uh, not so you know savory friendships? Uh, one thing I can say here is teach teaching our children what's important in a person is very valuable. What type of person ought we to be, and what type of people are beneficial to our lives, and what type of people may accidentally or on purpose bring things into our lives that are not beneficial. And so having a regular conversation about people, and I say in your house is the only time you can really talk about people and it'd be okay. <laughs> You've got to talk about people. You don't have to judge and be harsh about people. And, and let's be very careful. Um, as much as I talk about people in my house with my kids, when they cross a line, I tell them, you know, you really can't do that. And really, because I'm older, let me tell you exactly how that is actually sometimes looked at. Um, amongst, you know, people that you don't know. Um, so, but I let them have free reign with talking, even though I try to reel it back in if I think they're crossing the line because of immaturity. But I, I'm doing that so I can have an understanding of what do they think about the type of people they should be with. What, what um, and I didn't get a chance to do it as much when they were a lot older as I did when they were younger. But I have found that it's a worthwhile conversation if they will let you have it and if you can garner that trust so that you can get a sense of what's what's you know what's going on with the friendships and unfamiliar friendships. I'll just say, slow down. Don't allow our children. My mom didn't want this. And I know people were probably pushing her to think that things were OK. But, you know, letting your child go off into people's homes that you really don't know. Um, some of the best homes she let me go to, I remember T Tamika Wright, she met the parents and she was right on. They didn't exactly have everything the same in their home, but that was a good home to be in. Uh, and some other homes were good homes to be in. I had some decent friends out there, but sometimes their parents weren't home. And so really the opportunity for lots of different things um, would have been there. But thankfully, I was I think I was shielded and, and hopefully Phyllis will be happy to hear this from a lot of terrible things. I didn't really go in people's homes or have I me mean, my homes where a lot of crazy things were going on. That was a very small percentage of of friendships that I might have had. They really weren't friendships. They were acquaintances through school. But um, thankfully, the homes that I would be in, quite frank, their their moms were right on top of them. They seem to have a lot of liberty, but when you met their moms, really their moms were a lot stricter than the child would have made you think. So be wary of that and keep your children home. And if you do let them go, be mindful to get to know the people they're with. All right, so taking a little, I don't know if there are any questions that showed up, but I'll quickly go over this and I'll turn it over to Phyllis. We've only got a few minutes left tonight. I noticed in addition to just some practical uh, conversations that need to happen about raising our children. You know, what do I do when this happens? And what do I do when that happens? And how do you handle this? And, you know, again, we could go on and on. I think a lot of these uh, discussions are worth their own program. If you listen to Focus on the Family growing up, you know that they usually only dealt with one focus at a time. So here I am trying to cover several in one conversation. Uh, but they are, again, please try to take this with you and decide which one of these am I going to, you know, ha you know, deal with? It, or am I dealing with any of them? Or is there another one 
I'm going to take it one day at a time and I'm going to really put some time in exploring uh, some responses and answers to my questions about these, you know, day to day, these continual uh, issues that I have in raising my child or helping someone else. But it could be that you're having a difficulty in being the mother. There are some difficulties that come when you're about three months pregnant. <laughs> Sometimes it starts off, you know, you're very happy. Um, some moms have issues, they're sick. And all of a sudden the reality of motherhood begins to kick in in three months, four months, whatever that reality may be. Unfortunately, sometimes being a mother doesn't bring with it all the happiness and joy that many of us talk about, dream about, you know, boast about as we move along. And one of the difficulties has to do with things that maybe you weren't thinking I would say tonight, but let's move into the mom who has already had the one-year-old, they're raising their children, things are going relatively, you know, fine, things are normal in the home. But the mother begins to feel like uh, there are a couple things she just doesn't really like. One might be advice from family members, neighbors. I'm going to jump into the water and say, I think that mothers often don't like to have advice from people primarily in their family because family is so close and the advice seems like it's contrary to what the mother is doing. So I want to encourage any mother, and I know it sounds a little like maybe you weren't thinking that, but think about it. Why don't you wear the child's socks? I do this with a young mom I know. I feel like I sound like my mom and I tell her all the time, I'm so sorry, this is my experience, but where are his socks? You know, like, And so advice, believe it or not, and this wasn't just my thought, this was actually on a list of some top difficulties that new mothers experience. And that is taking advice from other people. And so if you're in that boat or if you are one who's prone to go and give advice to mothers, know that I think some of it just comes from what I think we have in that is that sort of protective hint, especially mothers who want to be mothers. They're already thinking about it long before the baby gets there. And so they come to it with a, a great deal of thought and intentionality and all of these things are happening. And so the advice sometimes seems like they are missing something something's not happening. And it's for some reason hard to digest sometimes. So my advice to the mom would be one, look at it as conversational. You can use all the advice you can get. You don't even know when you're going to need it. So let's humble ourselves and respond in a conversational way, even if it's not advice you think you need. That would help eliminate a lot of the the, the internal discord that you're experiencing right now, because that's what happens on the inside. You're resisting, you're feeling judged, you're feeling, you know, all kinds of things. And, and the one thing that I know would come out of my mouth was, I know, <laughs> we know a lot. Well, you do, but you're, someone's loving you and someone can only give you also what they know. Just because it bumps in with what you already know, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the advice. And if you're the advice giver, try to keep the mom in mind, especially the new mom the first time around. If they're all in moms, they probably think they have a lot of their own thoughts. <laughs> if they're not like that, they probably welcome the advice. But be mindful of that so that we can sort of keep the peace 
amongst ourselves in conversation. Another thing that new moms are sort of uh, concerned about would be visitors. And I'm gonna quickly say it's only pride. I didn't like visitors and maybe you find yourself where you didn't like visitors because I didn't like maybe the way my house looked or I always wanted to be ready for something. I, you know, or this is another one. You don't want people bringing their germs into your house and you don't want them messing up your house. It's two, it's like on two sides of the coin there. Either I'm just self-conscious and I would rather not have visitors until I'm ready with my young child or it's that I really don't want visitors bringing things to my new home with my new baby that I would deem, I don't know, to be honest with you, unclean, germ-filled, et cetera. My suggestion for that is one, whew, if you can just get one friend to make you feel comfortable about your home, you'll be able to welcome a wealth of people. If your issue is basically pride, <laughs> you're just really self-conscious about your home, um, remember, uh, it is a true thing that oftentimes we don't care if people are lovingly enough, loving enough to come in and visit you and to sit with you and they want to be with you, let them. It takes a great deal of humility to let that happen. If your reason for not having people come and be with you and your new child and your new environment with your new clothes and your new furniture and all this new stuff you got for your child, humble yourself and say to yourself, gee, am I really putting my things ahead of people? And if we're all honest, I felt that before, but it wasn't articulated that way. But in a way I thought, well, I didn't know what else could it be if I had to put it in a category. I thought about that. And so I said, you know, that's not really it. That's not who I am, but that could be a temptation in the moment. Let it go. And if you're a praying mom, pray over whatever and move on. Because I find that the people are the ones who make your life. And when they leave, there's an emptiness and the things don't give anything to you. So for whatever your reason that visitors are an issue with you, with your children and your family, <laughs> you don't want them. It is a good time to humble ourselves on two fronts. Quickly, I'll go with social life. Lots of moms are trying to do two things. They're trying to live the single life that they had and be social, and they're trying to live the mom life and get their kids everything. Be wary of that. Make your family your new social life. What my social life is with my child, and one period in my life that I enjoyed the most is when uh, they were from my church, that's true, but when we would have gatherings, if we didn't bring our children, we didn't have them. And Melissa didn't have any young children. She had children, but they weren't young children. And she would still invite us in with all these babies coming in, baby showers. I had one at her house, toddlers running around. And she opened her brand new home to us and what let us be comfortable there. And it was one of the most comfortable visits, you know, with the homes that we visited. And so if you are looking for a social life with your friends, you want to go back to the club, you just want to go out to eat and you're touting phrases like my time and me time, you're missing out on an opportunity to make family life become your new social life. Another thing is new moms often want help from so many people. They want dad to do more, they want their grandparents to do more, et cetera. I am a little biased here because I come out of a hard experience. And the experience is I had to do mostly all these things by myself. Now, it wasn't my parents' fault. They didn't live in the same state as I did. So they would have done more. And every time they were around, they would do more. But in my day-to-day -day life, I learned to do so much. And sometimes you do it with one hand. 
and that's with a spouse. So I encourage moms all the time. I can't help it. You can do this. You can do this. Stop thinking that you can only do it with everybody else doing things for you. They will be there when you need help. But when you just want convenience, ask God to show you how to do it. And again, I say to you moms, because we're coming up and we're out of time a bit here, that deserves its own conversation. I understand that. But when you learn to walk alone, God can show you how to do lots of things. He can't strengthen your arm if you already feel strong. You have to show him that you're weak. And so I, I feel there's opportunity. It has nothing to do with fairness. It has everything to do with opportunity. And then when you need help, you turn around and you ask for help. And most often you haven't worn your welcome. The last thing I'll say at 858 is that uh, one other area has to do with going back to work. And I, I saved that one because I think it's a sensitive conversation. I have to work. I work. But for those of us who have a bit of leeway, I just want to encourage you to take it all. Okay, spend as much time as you can with your children. Um, if you can work part time and you're married and your your finances are pretty good, I remember I was my one of my favorite sort of funny movies is House Guests. And the lawyer on House Guests with the old comedian Sinbad, um, his boss wasn't a great boss. And so out of frustration, he quits this job and he's an attorney in a big corporate firm. And Sinbad comes back and tells him, he's like, I quit my job. Like he couldn't believe he did it. And Sinbad's like, so you'll have a little less income, you know, and this is somebody who has like a, a big income and his wife was in the yogurt business. And just the way he said that was basically um, a way to say, listen, no, you won't have as much money as you did before, but you'll have your wife if you betray her in this way. And you know, all these other things that went on in the movie, you'll have a little less income, but you'll have a better life. And that's why I encourage us as mothers. I know what it's like not to have. I know what it's like not to have even the little, <laughs> look, you know, when you work at a radio station and one of your checks is $40, $50 and you learn how to do groceries on it to when you get 200 or $300, I didn't even know how to spend that much money even on food. But that was good for me. Because for many years, it kept me in a place. And God fed my children wonderfully. And when we had less, I guess they weren't overindulged. So they managed to make it until we got more. <laughs> so be careful with going back to work when you don't have to. If you can work part time for a moment in time, you won't regret it. And, and new clothes for baby, how many clothes can they wear? You know, let somebody give you a few hand-me-down things. They'll look new the minute you wash them. Try to manage your life such that work doesn't pull you and suck you in at six weeks when you have to turn your child over to the daycare provider. Or because you want to go back to work, you make your mother the baby's mother when you didn't have to. Maybe don't do that to your mother so quickly unless you absolutely have to. Work at night, do something. Try not to let work pull you in. If you have to work, 
then do pray and ask God for the type of support that you can trust that will give you flexibility and that you will then just saturate yourself in every extra moment you have with your children. If you do not have to work, savor that time and maybe be a help to another mom. My friend down there, I know they need a little extra money. They live in a, an apartment. She's a physical therapist. I forgot where he works, but she had a son. And for a minute there, you know, she was just trying to work a little part time. So I, I, you know, two days I went down there and sat. I took from my job, took my laptop with me because I could work virtually and sat with her son. And she scheduled it around his sleep time. So I had him a little bit, but he slept a lot. Maybe help somebody else until so they can get on their feet, you know, and help them so they don't have to go and work full time and just leave the child that way. So tonight, I thank you for your attention. It's been a long night. And like I said, um, I grew up listening to family shows where they usually dealt with one, maybe two items on an entire broadcast. And I wanted to just touch on a few areas here. So Phyllis, if you can take us out with a few, some comments to close us out here, um, just that would be wonderful. I really, really uh, don't want to um, restate so many of the dainties that uh, we have heard here. Uh, and as you talked, I remembered being a mother over young children and that care that I felt uh, for and the responsibility for that, that job and how much joy it was to have my little children. In fact, I think when my youngest um turned maybe she might have been 12 I began to say Lord how can you do this <laughs> take my children turn them into grown people because <laughs> I could really feel the change so everything that you said tonight has had so much meaning and for those of us who have our children are grown maybe you know we are not uh, thinking that this was a show for us always there is something on that table that can benefit you or me, no matter what stage of life we are in, if it is Holy Spirit inspired. The Lord is making of this show, I pray, one that can deal with more relevant, practical, everyday issues of life for a person who is born again of the Spirit of God. And what I heard tonight uh, after my children are grown, I mean, they're very grown, by the way. Uh, I heard a, a number of things that I really won't go back. But when she, honor, when you said inviting honor, you never, your children are never too old to actually have you invest in them or invite them to live honorably, understanding the appropriateness of honoring those who are worthy of honor. And as long as we live, we are learning. And if you have parents still, you are blessed. And if those parents in their age have something to share or any elder who has raised children and learned, we don't do it perfectly. Oh my goodness. I go back and say, God, forgive me for so much that I did not do well. But as long as I live, I shall impart all that I can to those children that God has allowed me to bear and to turn over to him. It's been a beautiful, beautiful uh, 
talk tonight and for uh, I don't know that we have young young mothers on on the line like I said I went through my phone book and tried to invite many of them uh, that I know but I don't have a lot of young mothers in my uh, contact list either however another thing that you said was this and I have done this um, since my children were grown so if I meet a young mother when they're struggling with those children, I tend to like, you know, I, I like not tend to, but children tend to be at ease with me. So I will hold their child if we're in church. I will try to help mom, you know, uh, deal with that child if she's in a tough situation, like putting groceries in the car or whatever. I watch the children. There are many things that we can do to aid and laying or helping a mother to lay a foundation Honor, that's what you were talking about. I do believe when you were uh, discussing uh, us putting them before a television or, you know, letting them be occupied with technology rather than have the interaction with people. It is in the interaction with others that children are mentored into the foundation that you are laying for them to become whoever it is God has called them to be and giving them time in environments where they can also be um, nurtured in that way and uh, have their imaginations come alive and inspiration through their own creative uh, endeavors. God is amazing. He didn't do this, you know, without, without his own purposes and his own purposes are always good. Parents are important. They're very important. We are laying the foundations for the next generation, and we're passing on this wonderful legacy of salvation to the generation that follows us, as someone did for us. Doesn't matter when you came. The truth is that it was out there for you to hear, and you did come. And that is uh, participating in the process of God passing it on until the and, trumpet shall sound. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, Phil, one, I'm glad you pointed that out. And for those of us who are probably thinking, yes, these are very elementary and we, we don't have young children. One thing that I hope comes out of the conversation, which actually helped me in thinking about it is, sure, maybe I'm not doing some of these things right now, but what I, I don't hear some women that I know, particularly like coworkers and things saying, is uh, they're not having conversations that make it seem as though they're the mature ones and that they can be the helpers. I hear a lot of, they have their own lives now. I don't have any say in that. They have their, you know, the people, like everybody today is, they're on their own now. I don't have, like the hands are off. But if we remember that these things are important, even the elementary ones, maybe we can be women who have something to pass on or, or, or remember that we actually have a bit of understanding based on our experience, at least not everything, but we have something as opposed to now just sending them off and going, they'll do it. They can do it. You know, what happened to the, the input that you could have at the dinner table? What happened to the input you have when you're watching the neighbor's child or helping them? Where is that in these elementary things? That's where they're living. Why don't we then be in, in turn mindful of those things to to help? So this, again, the conversation could happen again. And then we would deal with, well, what do you do in response to your, your children in their 20s or your children who have children? You know, that's a whole nother conversation. But I thought I'd start at the bottom 
And if so, be it, you know, work our way somewhere else. But can we not give back? Aren't these things still important? When you look at your grandchildren, even, do you look at them sometimes and say, hey, this has been instilled? Or do you say it hasn't been instilled? Are we being okay with younger moms not having some of these foundations? And if so, what's this, what's the outcome of that in their children? They're going to take care of us one day, guys. They will be our legislators and they will be our doctors. What are we perpetuating if we don't come in and be the voice in the practical areas? I just say. Mm, very good. And uh, mothers are very important, but we have not forgotten that fathers are too. And we live in a time when fathers are sometimes AWOL and uh, not at all hands-on. And they leave mothers uh, to a great task that God never, he never meant for it to be on the woman that way. Um, and we, we have scriptures to prove it. And we have uh, stories of the Lord uh, chastising and dealing with fathers who were not... Um, uh, they, they're not necessarily not present in terms of their physical space, right? But not present in terms of the upbringing and teaching their children, both female and male. So we will we will approach that. And as I said, we want to be very relevant. We have Donnie in the co-host seat um, who has also raised children. And so I got the invitation and I, <laughs> I invited you in, Donnie. If you unmute yourself, do you have words that you would like to share? before we go tonight. Well, she she might not know how to unmute herself because she's new to coming in and I've never uh, received an invitation from her to come up to be a co-host. But nonetheless, you are all welcome. Anyone who, you know, if you, in, in an appropriate way, if you have comments that you'd like to share with the listening audience or if you type uh, in the chat, of course, that you know, see that little chat but bo box down there. That's where you can type your comments, and we welcome them always. I love to hear from uh, uh, you who are listening, because what good is our presentation if no one ever, um, you know, can if you can't talk back to me? You know, there are things that you may not understand, or things that you don't agree with, or things that you would like to say. Uh, we want to hear that. This is a conversational um, podcast. I, I want to hear. And therefore, uh, may God bless you all. We have dined at a table that is absolutely set by the Lord. There is never a time. I'm sorry. I'm not partial to my own podcast. What I'm partial to is what I get from being a part of it. And I thank you very much for joining us tonight. Like I said, whatever is presented here, we do our best to make sure that it has been duly prepared by God in heaven. No quotes from scripture tonight, but we have lots of scripture to back us up. And if we come again, we shall endeavor to look into God's word and, and, and show you how we are being guided. The proverb says, uh, raise up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And other people have said it will not depart from him. Surely what you lay on the brain, according to psychologists, first, that brain 
then in that person will reject anything that is contrary to it. So now think about it. If you put on the child's mind those things that are relevant for life and the fulfillment of the purposes of God, the child will hold on to it. It may take them a minute to get there, but that indelible ink of God's way, his word, has already written. And we thank the Lord for that. Only God could do it. I bless you and I thank you, Anna Cain. May the Lord our God bless you abundantly and recompense you according to that which you have given. You have given me a lot. And I'm very grateful. Uh, Anna, will, we're going to do a literature series. And Anna, again, will uh, present for us. Uh, she did some great work on a very important book, a very famous book, really, in, in English literature. And uh, I shall also be reading from an American author who is a uh, very renowned in the community of people, literary scholars, a very uh, impressive writer. And uh, Pastor Thomas will be joining me in that discussion. We will be highlighting a number of um, literary works. <clears throat> Excuse me. After all, <laughs> I am, my first and foremost, I am an artist. And so I love the arts. And God has placed them here. Uh, to give us some pretty, uh, you know, some strong guidance. And, and so we can glean a lot from reading and then co correlating what we read to God's word. You might enjoy it. Do join us as we, um, uh, you know, present the series. Right now, we're on our way home. I pray that the Lord God bless you and that you, uh, <laughs> that you have, um, a really good week until we meet again. Also, you might listen for us. Uh, I will give the announcement. We may begin a devotional in a month or so, and you'll be able to hear us every day with a five-minute, five, ten-minute, you know, a devotional word. But for tonight and for the week, I ask the Lord to bless you, and I thank you so much for coming along. May God bless. Now, I'll see you. Next week, Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, join us. Have a good one. Bye-bye.